Amen. Awesome. Good morning, church. Great to be with you. Thank you for joining us today, both on campus and online. Throughout the week, as you join us, uh, whenever you tune into the service, just want to make sure you stay in tune with the Holy Spirit, no matter what's happening and where we're going, as we navigate through this time that God is leading us. And don't forget that he's leading us. None of this has caught God by surprise. He's not like baffled and wondering what to do. All of the people in our culture and society are. He's not. God is good, and he is calling us to follow his lead as the Holy Spirit is faithful to us. So last week we talked to you about forgiveness. We talked on Father's Day about the fact that uh, divorce has taken an impact and made an incredible uh, crush on our families, our culture, and how we have disconnected from what God has taught us, even in the church. And the fact of the matter is that if we've been divorced, we need to ask God's forgiveness and our ex. See, we need to be forgiven of things that we do wrong, right? Okay. Coffee's still over there if you need it. Um, we have to be forgiven of things we've done wrong. And a divorce is wrong in God's sight. Just want you to know. He's given one reason because of our unwillingness to forgive, and that was adultery. So we were talking about the fact that we have to be forgiven and we can't justify what we do when we, con uh, when we do something contrary to God's word. All right, we try to and we want to build a case against it, but God still calls us into this. So we need forgiveness. Forgiveness for divorce, forgiveness from our acts, forgiveness for ourselves. But that wasn't the whole topic. It wasn't just about divorce. It's the fact of the matter is it's about forgiveness itself and how we are confused when it comes into the aspect of what forgiveness means. And so we have to forgive others. We have to forgive ourselves, the things that have happened in our life, the abuses that have taken place. Everybody in this room has been wrong, everybody online. You've been wronged by somebody at some point in your life. And therefore, you have to forgive whoever, whatever, in all those situations. And it's not a small thing. But as we step into this, we begin to understand something about forgiveness and what God says to us. We need to understand what God is doing and what he's saying to us. When we are forgiven, God's word declares to us the promises of God is the fact that God says that he gives us a clean slate to begin again. All right? So you know this. There comes a moment in your life, or has come a moment in your life, where you step into relationship with God. The Word of God calls it being born again. Jesus said it to Nicodemus in John 3. He said, what do we got to do? And he says, you have to be born again. He's like, what do you mean? Do I go back into my mother's womb? How does that work? That doesn't make sense. Jesus said, you have to be born of the water and the Spirit. A transformation of who you are. What Jesus was teaching us and telling us, and throughout Scripture it talks about this, the fact that God plans for us to live a brand new life. Therefore, when you stepped into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you started a new life. All right? Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. If you don't have that, we'll give you that opportunity today. Don't worry, all right? So when we're forgiven, God has invited us into this relationship with him where he says that you are now made new. You're a brand new person. Now we got to live a life that is different. This relationship that we have with God is something that God has established. So we accept salvation, forgiveness for our sins, the new life, whatever terminology you want to put on it. And it's called many things in scripture itself. But when we step into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God says that we are forgiven we have a clean slate, and we are accepting his conditions for a relationship. Amen. It's the only way it happens, you know. 
You don't establish the conditions. God has established the conditions. And this relationship, salvation, Christian life, living for God, the new life, the new way, all those things are all according to His conditions, nothing to do with my conditions. All right, church. Now, we step into this relationship with God and nothing comes through the blood of Christ from our past. It does not erase that we have a past, but it does erase it in our relationship with God. Therefore, God does not see our history. He sees our moment of beginning. It's amazing. All right. So church, as we consider that, there have been many times in my life where I've asked God to forgive me of stuff when I've already been forgiven. I'm talking about the same thing. Not that I did it again, but that as I remember my stupid behavior, my wrong behavior, my wrong life choices, and I find the misery of those decisions that I made back there, knowing that I was making those decisions, I find myself in the moments that I began to reflect back on that, that I would ask God to forgive me again. Why? Because I felt the burden of my brokenness, my sin, my shame, my guilt, all the stuff that was actually real back there. I would ask God once again, will you forgive me? And he's like, what are you talking about? It's all about Dave here. See, now I'm, I'm beginning in that moment when I'm living back there in my brokenness and my sin to begin to put my conditions on my relationship with God. Now, see, here's the problem for us as we navigate through this in our relationship. God sees us as new, new creations, new creatures, brand new, born again. He says, I forgive you. Past is gone. Doesn't erase my memory. That's a good thing and a bad thing, right? So because I'm forgiven and God doesn't remember it, I still do. So I remember my brokenness. God says, I don't hold that against you. I don't, I don't hold your sin against you. I don't hold that, those decisions that you made, those actions you took. I don't hold that against you. But see, I still remember all of it. <laughs> the wounds inflicted on me by others. The wounds I inflicted on others, my wrong choices, my defilement of God, my all of it. It's still in my history, but not in God's history of me. So in that, I've also been affected, as you have, with understanding forgiveness in a filter in which you and I have learned and understood God to be. Everybody has had a spiritual formation in your life. All of us have. We've been imprinted with a view of God. Therefore, we've also been imprinted with a relationship, about a relationship with God, about forgiveness, about the the boundaries and all the things that happen, right? All of us have been affected by that imprint of how we view God. That's why God's word says, train up a child in the way it should go, and when it's old, it will not depart from it. He's saying, man, you've got to form those little ones with the truth of who he is so that when they're old, they'll never forget what you've imprinted them with, right? So all of us have been imprinted. The problem is a lot of our imprint, even of God, has been unhealthy. The way we've understood forgiveness has been unhealthy. We're struggling with trying to prove ourselves to God to 
recondition the conditions God has established in our relationship and we're still struggling with our brokenness of our past even when God says it's gone forget it let's move on so what happens in the church oftentimes is we're still not only asking God to forgive us of stuff he's forgiven but we're trying to earn his favor because of how crazy we were We're trying to develop a way of proving I am changed to God. And churches are trying to teach people that you need to prove yourself to God. Now, don't misunderstand me. We've got to stay in the context of Scripture and what we're talking about. There's a life we've been called to live, no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit is leading us in that life. But the problem is, is that we start to try and earn our forgiveness deserve God's love and begin to dictate the terms and the conditions of our relationship with him now there's a problem because you see what we have received in this new life of salvation and forgiveness is a relationship that God has established all conditions for he's not debating with us he's not asking for our input He's not waiting for the church to let him know as we submit our requirements for salvation in heaven. God says, this relationship I have ordained from the foundations of the world, I myself, God, have established what the conditions are in this relationship. Step into it. That's all. So, When you know, we're going to read in Hebrews in just a moment, but to give you a little bit of a history of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, when you look at that, the reason it has the title for the book as Hebrews is because the Hebrew people were the descendants of Abraham. They received the Mosaic law, the covenant with God. They were part of the covenant with Abraham, and they lived the law of God. Okay, so they lived Judaism, law of Moses, old covenant. They lived that. So, the reason why it's important for us, as we read the book of Hebrews, to have at least a little bit of an understanding of the Old Testament, because what it is, is the book of Hebrews is showing us Jesus as the answer to the Old Covenant. And it's a mere reflection saying, look at what God was doing, establishing something for us to understand that this relationship with Him is incredibly dynamic and detailed but it's all been fulfilled in Christ. And here's what the answer to all of that was. It is this, our gift, which is Jesus Christ. So that's just a little overview to help us understand it. So the author of the book of Hebrews lived the law. They had lived in that relationship in the old covenant. They had come to Jesus Christ and found him as the savior of the world and the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Therefore, the writing of that book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the revelation of God's full redemption. So when we read this, I want you to hear what it's saying to us with that background. Just a little bit of background. On uh, chapter 10, verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. So, when you know the Old Testament covenant, you'll know this. You've been reading through your Bible, you get into the book of Leviticus, 
and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so confused. Have you ever been there when you read Leviticus? It's like, do this for this, do this for this. And if this happens, do this. Offer this sacrifice, go to this person, do that. Have this sacrifice for this reason and this one for that reason. And when you do this, offer this sacrifice. And you're like, oh my, here, just take everything. <laughs> and so seriously, that's what was going on, you see? So the people that wanted to serve God were continually bringing sin offerings and offerings to God and the priests day after day were offering the same sacrifices. I screwed up again. Sorry, here. Done. Hey, God, forgive him. He's jacked up. You know him. Hey, I'm, it's Monday. Here you go. Start over again. Tuesday, right? Day after day again and again. You know the problem was? The sacrifices could not take away our sin. That's the problem. That's what we're writing about right here. This is what we're reading in the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was a continual sacrifice of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No change. Sin still lived there. Therefore, I was a slave to sin and continued to live in it. (laughs) Such good stuff, man. Here you go. You ready? Offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away his sins. But... Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, plural, make sure you get that, good for all time. Jesus did it once and for all, man. Yeah, there should be a little more whooping going on, I'm just letting you know. Come on, man, Jesus did it once and for all for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Hallelujah, man. Isn't that awesome? For by that one offering. Guys, you got it. This, this is an incredible verse right here. This statement is amazing. Listen, here it is. For by that one offering, he for ever made perfect those who are being made holy. That is crazy. You hear what that just said? This is what Jesus did. This is why I'm saying we have to accept this relationship on God's conditions. So what we are just told in God's word is that when Jesus died, we were forever made perfect by his sacrifice as for those of us who are being made holy. So listen to it. It's saying there is a final work that has been done while we are growing in this relationship and being made holy. Isn't that awesome? So think about it. A finished work that we are being made holy in. See, so we're accepting what God has done. What God has done is made us perfect. And we're being made holy. See, see the way God sees us? This is what I'm saying. The way we view ourselves is we see the brokenness. God sees the wholeness in Christ. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You're so amazing. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. Isn't that cool how God gave us the Holy Spirit to know this? The Holy Spirit is there and says, yep, I'm doing the work. God sees you as holy. 
It has nothing to do with you earning it, deserving it, what you've done. God says, I see you in Christ this way. Church, as I read these scriptures now, the Hebrew writer is going to do something right here that's significant for you and I to understand. Right there, after we're looking at these statements, and he tells us the Holy Spirit testifies to this, for he says, so listen, he's saying this like God spoke this and God is speaking this. Do you know what he begins to write right there? A prophecy that God spoke through Jeremiah. Now that's pretty cool when you think about it, right? Because in this very moment when he's talking about that that God does in us and what he is doing, and the Holy Spirit has testified, for he says, this is what he says, and this is what it is. So let's look at it. This is found in the book of Jeremiah now, which is being placed in this strategic place of the new covenant of God. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three is being quoted. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write it, write it on them in their minds. So, back here, if you remember where we were at in Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of God who were being punished because they had turned their back on God. They were no longer living according to God's standards. They were not even trying to do it right. And they were worshiping other gods. God said, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to bring down judgment upon you. Jeremiah kept preaching to them, saying, you need to repent. You need to stop it. You're going to be destroyed. And they were destroyed. And Jeremiah is crying out to God for them. And God says, don't worry about it. I've got a plan. Look, I want you to know I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem the day. Jeremiah, write these words. There is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. That, that, that day is the day that Jesus gave his life for us when God instituted the new covenant. Do you see that? God himself said, there's going to be a new covenant. The old covenant doesn't work. I know it doesn't work. I'm showing you it doesn't work. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. That new covenant is Jesus Christ. And he is going to do something significant. Do you remember what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do for us? He would reveal the words of Christ to us. He would guide us, lead us through life. He would reveal the truth to us. He would convict us of sin and righteousness and coming judgment. That's what Jesus said he would do. Here he tells us this was God's plan from the beginning that he would establish a new covenant that I will make with my people. The next verse is this another quote from Jeremiah. Verse number 17, Hebrews 10, is a direct quote of Jeremiah 31, 34, the last part of that verse. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. This is God speaking. Man, church, have you been forgiven of your sin? Uh, you know Jesus as your Savior? God says, I will never again remember their sins or their lawless deeds against them. Man, that is amazing, isn't it? Verse 18, And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. <laughs> A finished work in God. A finished work by God. 
a finished work that we receive through Jesus Christ that is all about what God has done for us. Nothing about what we earn, deserve, have done, have deserved. Now we read these scriptures and the glimpse into that forgiveness of God and from his perspective. And as the Hebrew writer anointed by the Holy Spirit pens these words for us and speaks to us through the prophet Jeremiah saying God's plan is for this new covenant through Jesus Christ and he wants you to know that there is a forgiveness coming that is going to wipe the slate clean. Therefore, church, to put it in the context of where we were last week, when God says you're forgiven, you may be in the earthly sense on spouse number five, but God sees you with spouse number one. You know what I'm saying? Like God forgives all the screw-ups and the brokenness. When we ask God to forgive, He wipes the slate clean. Therefore, that's, that's why I'm saying, like, you don't... God says, I hate divorce, so, oh, I'm sorry. I've got to divorce you, wife number five, to go back to wife number one because I want to be right with God. Come on. That's us trying to earn God's deliverance and trying to do the things that we think we ought to know. God's like, look, I forgive you. That's gone. That's gone. Here you are. Do you know that God, see, I, I want to put this in real life terms for us so we understand this. He says like, the prostitute becomes a virgin in his eyes. Now, they are not a virgin in the human context, in the flesh. But in God's eyes, they become in that moment a virgin. See, all things become new from that moment forward. God sees us in a brand new light. My old story is now ended. Put the end on Dave. In that moment, Christ came and forgave me of my sins. The end, all gone in the beginning. <laughs> Thank you, God. God's forgiveness means a clean slate. All records of wrong are now expunged as if they never happened. Those of you that have been on the other side of the law, you know that word, expunged. See, in this world, when you have a record, it travels with you. When you put in applications and you do stuff, it doesn't matter how much you've changed, they hold it against you, don't they? Come on, you all know that. This is, if you have money, and I'm not saying this wrong against our political system, just or judges or anything, but people that have money, see, they can go into courts again and pay lawyers and they can fight this thing. And what happens is they'll erase that from your record. It's called being expunged. That's like no longer held against you. So no matter how much money you have, I just want you to know that, it, that what God does is free. He's like, I, I'm expunging all your records doesn't matter who thinks what of you, what they've seen in your life, what you've been accused of, what you've done. I've erased it. Start from here. Let's go forward. So in Philippians 3, now remember, as the Apostle Paul writes to the church, he is the author of Philippians here, remembering who he is. If you do remember, and if you don't, I want you to know that Saul was his name, and he was a keeper of the law. He was taught in the Old Testament covenant. And he opposed the new covenant of Jesus Christ, big time. So that when you read a part about him in Acts, he was leading the charge to bring persecution against Christians and the new, test, uh, the new covenant that was being preached by the apostles. It was he who 
held the judgment there and held the coats of those that killed Stephen for his faith. It was he who was carrying out orders to take Christians from their home and put them in prison to be killed and and, uh, destroyed because of their faith. It was he who was taking over the businesses and things legally to end Christianity. That's the guy we're talking about, right? So you know who he is? He was doing all of that because he was zealous about God's Old Testament law and this new covenant as it was preached, was saying that didn't work. So he was like, we're going to do it this way, and I'm against you. Then he met Jesus. God's amazing. There he is, going down that road, carrying with him orders to take and arrest Christian people, push them out of their homes, and destroy them. And Jesus appears in front of them. Jesus has a conversation with them about the fact that he is God, he is the Savior, and the new covenant is legit, and he needs a change, and he's fighting against what God's trying to do. Of course, Saul repents. And as he does, he says, your name is no longer Saul, but Paul. And he says, I'm going to use you now. I know you're zealous. I know you want the truth. I know you want to do it. So now you're going to do it for me. Let's go. We're going to begin a new life together. And now you're going to be just as zealous and and aggressive about your Christian faith and who Christ is than you ever were before. Isn't that awesome? He's like, all right, I got you now. Now I'm saying that so that you understand the transition that happened when Saul became Paul in the moment that he was made new. His entire life changed. The focus of his life, the way he lived his life, how he served God, how he talked about God, everything he did changed. Philippians 3, he's writing to the church, and this is what he says. I once thought these things were valuable. What's he talking about? Old covenant law. Working towards righteousness, trying to be what God wants him to be. So here's what he says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Do you see the change that happened? He's like, man, I thought all these sacrifices and continual serving and trying to earn righteousness and live in a certain way for other people, I thought that's what it was all about. And he's like, whoa, I now realize none of that means anything. It's all about Jesus. Verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake... I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. Isn't that awesome? He's like, man, all that religious practice meant nothing. All that zeal, all that I was doing, man, it's garbage. I want you to know, church, anything that you're trying to do to earn God's favor, it's garbage. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So God clearly outlines in scripture for us that the clean slate that God gives us, this forgiveness, is not based on what we have done nor on what we are currently doing. It is a gift. God clearly states to us that that clean slate, that new life, that beginning of everything... I become righteous, it says it right there, through faith in Christ. Period. Church, you become righteous through faith in Christ. 
Not being baptized, what do we need, brother? We all right? Not being baptized, not being a church member, not by how much money you give to the church or to that or a servant community. What you do is you become righteous with God through faith in Christ alone. For God's way of making us right with Him depends on faith. So here's what you do. The only thing you and I do to earn, get, deserve, have a relationship with God is believe that He's done it for us. That's it. That's all we're up to. I believe it. God says if you believe that, you confess that, you receive that. In that moment, now I am made new. That's what God does for us. Just come on up here. That's all right. Whatever you got to do, brother. God is so good, isn't he? When I look at that new relationship is given, so we are forgiven and free simply by believing in Christ. This forgiveness of God is absolutely free. Free. And yet we struggle. We're struggling with it, believing that it's that easy. That it's that free. And even after we've received it, there's a part of us that still thinks I've got to earn it. I don't deserve this. I mean, I'm free. I I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to feel this way, to live this way. I don't deserve to be loved by you, God. Therefore, I'm going to try and do other stuff to kind of feel more worthy. Doesn't work. So let's continue reading. Because as we read in God's word, he's talking to us about this incredible free life that God's given to us, this new beginning, a new way of living. We'll pick up in the sentence that I read to you last in verse 9. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I'm just pausing there because you've got to get that. See, what he, what he just did is he, he's saying virtually the exact same thing that we read in Hebrews. Remember how in Hebrews it says that Christ has done the final work in us and we are perfect in Christ through what God sees us in Christ and then we're being made holy in that process? This is what he's telling us right now. I'm not there yet. I am not perfect in Christ. I am perfect in Christ in God's view, but I'm being made holy in this process of Christ's likeness. So I'm pressing on that I might receive that perfection in Christ the way I received it in the very moment I said yes. That is some cool stuff right there. He's like, no, brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So, see, we we see that as we begin this new life of forgiveness, of faith, we're called to pursue that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed us. Now, we are called to be Christ-like in our life. Paul tells us, look, I haven't received it yet. I'm on my way, but I'm not going to let what's happened in the past affect where I'm heading right now. I'm pressing on. See, he realized the purity and freeness of his salvation. 
You know this. When you received Christ, the Holy Spirit bears witness you're saved and you're forgiven. There's this sense of freedom. There's this deliverance that God brings to you. It's not just a feeling. It's a known. Nobody has to tell you, hey, you were saved. You know you were saved. You know that moment when you are saved, born again, made new. There's that breath of life that God restores in us and we know we are right with God. So in that moment that we've received this, see, and we feel that and we sense that, I want to live in that. Not just in the feeling. I want to live in that relationship. That kind of relationship. So this is what Paul's saying. Like, oh, I want to be that. I want to have that. I want to experience it. Whatever it takes, I want that in my life. So this is what he's telling us so that we understand as we walk on this journey. He's saying, like, look, when I look back, I know I've screwed up. I know I've made mistakes. I've, I've I messed things up. But I don't allow those things to keep me from where I'm going. I don't live in that brokenness. I don't let the, the screw-ups, the sidetracks, the things that are trying to pull me away from my objective of walking towards Christ, becoming more Christ-like. I'm not going to let that stuff take me in any direction that doesn't push me forward. I'm going to continue by faith, moving, pursuing Christ-likeness, and I want to I know Him. So here's what He tells us. Brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. I'm not there yet. I haven't crossed the finish line. But I'm focusing on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. So before we go any further, you'll know this if you've read through the New Testament in Paul's epistles. He will often reference his previous life, that meaning the life before Christ. So he'll reference that, but he doesn't live there. He does not let that own him. What he does is he says, this is how screwed up I was. This is how screwed up I believed things. This is how screwed up I was trying to live it. Now in Christ, it's this way. All right, so he's not allowing that brokenness of his past to rob him of the relationship with God, but rather seeing it, looking back like, wow, I was so jacked up. I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. I'm here and I'm heading there. That's what it's all about. All right. So all of you that, I don't even know if there's any NASCAR fans here. I'm not a NASCAR fan. No disrespect. I'm just saying, anyway, we won't talk about that. You know, just, I don't get it. All right, but it's 500 miles of racing. And uh, if it's the, I asked in the last service, Indy 500 is 500 miles. I didn't know if it was 500 laps, 500 miles, whatever it is. So, but the thing is, is if, if you don't watch the race and you don't know what happened, the only thing that anybody cares about is who won on the 500th mile at the finish line. A lot of stuff happened between mile one and 499. A lot of stuff. Bumps, bruises, accidents, pit stops, changing of tires, refueling, you name it. All kinds of stuff happened in the mile one through 499. What matters? What matters is mile 500 in the finish line. And this is what Paul said. He's like, man, I've had my fenders crushed. I've had people rear-end me. I've had to deal with this brokenness and that stuff. And that. But hey, whatever. I'm going there. I'm crossing that line. And when I cross, it's going to be in perfection. Because my God has said, that's how I see you. That's where I'm going. That's who I'm going to be. 
And that's why he's telling you and I, let's press on to reach the end of the race. Let's not get stuck somewhere. Let's not keep dwelling back there. Move on. On the way, you're going to face some challenges, man. You're going to face stuff. It's going to happen. Things are going to go on. We're not there yet. But the fact of the matter is we're pushing, pressing. And in order to obtain that prize of Christ's likeness, it requires my moving forward in Christ. All right. So we're going to learn from our past, but we're not going to live there. Correct? That's the whole deal. So we can't relive and be ruled by it, but we need to learn from it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 if you've been around the church, if you've heard anybody present the gospel, if you talk about these things, if you've been around anything, you've heard this verse, verse 17. Beautiful verse, by the way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Can't get any more plain than that, right? So when you receive Jesus Christ, I don't care how old you were, where you were at in your life, or today's the day. God says your life has just begun. It's not that past. It's none of that stuff. It's now new in Christ. That's what the word of God tells us. But it doesn't end there. So let's continue to see this about this new life. In verse 17, we'll read again. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. You see that? Nothing we've done. All of it is a gift. God says, I'm the one who's bringing you into relationship with me according to my rules, my regulations, my covenant. And I'm doing this through Christ. Nothing about you. Everything about Jesus, everything about this God brought to us and it's a gift from him. And God has given us, those of us who have stepped into that relationship with him, this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ recon reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Man, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for not holding that against me. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We see this transition of old into new. See, when I look at my own life and I look at Jesus and his struggles, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember in the, in the Gospels where it talks about the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, he was in the Garden and three times he asked God, is there any other way to take this from me? Any other way? Oh, but not what I want. Whatever you want, God. Whatever your plan is, we're going to go through with it. But if there's another plan we can adopt right now, man, let's take it. See, what it tells us right there in the scriptures is that Jesus was looked, and it says that he, he saw the cup. So it was there in the garden where Jesus was looking at my sin and yours. See, he was righteous and holy, having never sinned, or experience sin, he was going to become sin. So when you and I think about all that brokenness of our life, you know that stuff? That's what he was looking at. 
And when holy God was seeing my unholiness, he was like, please, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Then he took it and he drank it. My sin and yours. For he who knew no sin became sin for us. See, God said, this is going to be the final sacrifice where the sins of all humanity are poured out in one spotless, perfect sacrifice so that forgiveness could be granted to all and we could be seen through Christ. So God says to me, I have a new life for you, Dave. Brand new. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. Here it is. Come be with me. So God said, hey, um, now that you've received this and you feel how free it is and what it means, can you like just be my ambassador out there and share this with other people? Come back to God. This is where freedom is. This is where the answer to life is. This is where everything is fixed and made right when you come back to God. So he's asking us to be his ambassadors, taking the message of reconciliation to this world around us, to broken people. Let's pause for a moment here, and I'm going to be quiet because what I want us to do right here is to reflect. If you know Jesus as your Savior, would you just say amen? Amen. Every one of you that said amen, this is what we're going to do right now. We are going to pause for a moment and reflect on those things that God is no longer holding against us. See, I'm asking us in our flesh to look back for a moment. It's crazy, isn't it? When you look back at yourself and you look back at all that stuff, those actions you took, those things you did, all that brokenness in your life, and that that God himself has said to us, I'm not holding that against you. Right now, you're free. Just like that. You don't have to beg him. You didn't have to earn it. He didn't say, okay, once you do X, Y, and Z, then come back and talk to me. God said, look, I'm not holding that against you from this very moment where you say yes to Jesus. That's all you got to do is believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for all of that. And if you receive that from me, we're done. We're good. (laughs) See, so... As we reflect upon that, it, it kind of helps us to allow to, like, maybe just sense a little bit or get a grasp of the incredible forgiveness, mercy, grace, and love of God. Nobody should understand that better than we do because we know who we were, we know what we did, we know what we've been forgiven of. 
Do you deserve it? Anybody? Come on, man, we don't deserve it. Have you earned it? No, you haven't earned it. Have we kept it perfectly since that moment? Has God not picked you up from your miserable failures, even knowing what you know, and you still went back and you did something stupid again, and God didn't leave you? He said, come here. I've got a better way for you. Man, while we think about this church and we reflect upon this incredible love of God, we need to grab a hold of the fullness of this incredible relationship that God himself has made available to us. And we need to share that message with the world. There's so many people living in their brokenness and they're letting that brokenness dictate their life and their future. And God's saying, look, I've got a better way for you. And he's asked us to say, come back to God. Come back to God. Be his ambassador. Let people know. Come back to God. There's freedom in Christ. There's a new way to live. There's fullness in this life. There's something more. (sighs) Okay. I'm on my action steps. Have you received Jesus Christ and God's forgiveness for you through Jesus Christ? Have you received that? Have you forgiven others and yourself? Everybody's been forgiven in your life that screwed you over. Seriously, everybody, are they forgiven? They have to be. Have you forgiven yourself for all the people you screwed over? All things you've done wrong. You have to forgive yourself. So then now, let's just pause here for a minute. As believers, we're talking to Christian people now, those of you that are in the new life. Have you been dwelling in and reliving the past and allowing it to control you today in the future? See, now, we have to live in the new life. We can't allow that old life to dictate who I am today and where I'm going tomorrow. And so if you're dwelling in your past failures, first off, did you ask God to forgive you of that? If you have, why are you talking about it to Him? Why are you talking to yourself about it? See, this is the aspect of where we actually do something. We simply believe God's forgiven it. That's our action. And if we believe that God has forgiven it, we've got to move forward now and no longer dwell there, no longer allow that to impact who I am and how I live because I'm made new in Christ and God sees me as perfect. Come on. That's amazing. Are you being Christ's ambassadors? Are you calling people back to God? Are you sharing Jesus with others? Church, this is our calling. This is what God's done for us. How can we not tell people about the new life I've been given? The new opportunity has been provided for me by God through Jesus Christ. Look, the altar's open. I want you to come if you need to talk to God. If you need repentance, reconciliation, uh, forgiveness because you've not accepted forgiveness, whatever it is, Holy Spirit's faithful. Would you stand with me? Please, if you want to come to the altar, please come. God loves you. God loves you. If you're watching online and you need help and you want somebody to pray with you, and we are available for you. just want you to know. Reach out to the office. Get a hold of us. We want to help you. Father, we love you. What an incredible gift you've given to us. God, none of us deserve it. I still can't believe you would do this for me. 
God, as we thank you just seems so like tiny and small. But thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the incredible opportunity to start my life over again. Thank you that my life is found in Christ. Thank you that we have this opportunity. And God, we're calling people to you just to be a faithful ambassador of Christ and living our new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The altar is open. Please come and pray if you need to. And God bless you. Have an amazing week with him. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Jesus.